Good morning. What a great morning, huh? Thank you for setting this nice and low for me. Makes me feel tall. I can bring it up. <laughs> My name is Michael. I'm not Tim. Tim Smith usually is here Sunday morning. Does a fantastic job. I love his teaching. And hopefully I can do as well this morning. Have been praying. Well, if you want, my name is Michael. I've been here at Crossing for 31, 32 years, something like that. Uh, I teach every Friday night with the youth group here at Reach. If you have uh, a teenager, 6th to 12th grade, have them come out Friday nights. Not this Friday night, though. Uh, but soon after that, bring them out. And then I've really been praying just that the Lord will meet us, meet you where you are this morning. We're covering a lot of common ground. So there's something new or God will challenge or renew or encourage, remind you of something this morning. Um, and if you want, you can turn with me to Ephesians 2, because that's where we're going to start, Ephesians chapter 2. I don't have any PowerPoint or anything like that this morning. If you want to share a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, you can put a hand up and I'll have my ushers bring you a Bible. Or if you don't have a Bible and you want to take one home, they're back there in the lobby. They're there for you to take home. Uh, So please take one home. Uh, If you're a Christian, you live in two worlds. You, you literally live in two worlds. You obviously are living in this physical world that we can see, touch, hear, um, sometimes unfortunately smell. But you also live in a very real, literal, spiritual world. <clears throat> Let me start first with a quick definition of a Christian. A uh, Christian is a person who is not depending upon his or her own good works or good moral character to gain acceptance by God. A Christian is a person who is depending upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and acceptance by God. Uh, it's, it's a very simple difference between the two. And uh, that should raise a lot of questions if you are not a Christian. Uh, and hopefully I'll answer some of those as we go along this morning. If not, I hope you'll have the courage and you'll feel comfortable enough and think it important enough to come talk with me afterwards or any of our elders and, and ask those questions. I don't know what's more important than to know if there's really a God or not. Important truth. Anyway, back to my, my original proposition. If you are a Christian, you live in two worlds. You live in two worlds. We're going to look at this Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 6 together. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now notice this very interesting contrast in verse 1. It says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So you were dead but living. Living but dead. 
So what's he, what's he talking about there? Well, he's, he really is talking about these, these two worlds. Uh, you are physically alive, but spiritually dead. There, there are two basic uh, consequences of sin. And, and the Bible teaches that we are, unfortunately, born by nature as sinners. All have sinned. There is no one righteous. It is, it is the default setting of physical life that we are born into sin. There's two consequences of sin. One has actually been mentioned here this morning, is punitive. God punishes sin. God will one day pour out his wrath upon all the evil, all the unkindness, all the bad things in the world that men have done because he is just. There's a punishment to sin. The second consequence is spiritual death. In Romans, Paul wrote, he he said it this way, that the wages of sin is death. And so when we are born into this world, we're physically alive, but because of sin, we're spiritually dead. Does that make sense? And so here's, what I want to do is just kind of read this section with you again with, with that idea in mind. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, notice that he's saying this is everyone's condition. Every one of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. There's that punishment aspect. We're just born into it. It's the natural way of life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, what else is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about both of those consequences of sin and, and what's required to be made alive. Here's, here's what God did. It says that he loved the world so much. John 3.16, Jesus said it this way. They're probably familiar verses. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Here he says, because of God's love, he is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. <laughs> what we just celebrated and what he did is God became a man. He became Jesus Christ. And he willingly suffered and died. He went to a cross, was crucified in my place. That was was God's wrath put upon Jesus instead of me. The Bible says Jesus took my sins upon himself. He took it to the cross and he paid that penalty. The one consequence of sin, that punishment, that penalty for sin, Jesus took upon himself. And, And God says it's not going to be by works. You can't be good enough. You're not going to be able to do anything to overcome your deadness because you're spiritually dead. And so he makes it a gift. You can accept this gift, the payment of your penalty for sin. And so that's why I say the Christian doesn't depend upon his or her own good works or moral character, but depends upon the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. says, that's what I'm putting my trust in. I am accepting his death on the cross for the payment of my sins. Does that make sense? 
Now, there's a second thing he talks about here. Not only did he forgive us our sin, he made us alive. He, he at that moment, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. He marks us. Do you, do you, if you're near there, you can go back to Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 13. He writes, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit enters the life of the person who says, I'm not doing it on my own. I'm going to do it. I'm going to accept that gift of Jesus' death on the cross. And we're made spiritually alive. That's what he says. Even when you were dead in your transgressions, Christ, God raised us up with Christ and made us spiritually alive. And so now the Christian lives in two worlds literally lives in two worlds. Uh, we, don't, we don't see, we don't hear the spiritual world, but it is, it is just as real. There are very likely angels in this room. Isn't that weird? A little creepy? Uh, who, who, catch this, uh, they're here worshiping with us, singing along, going... Holy, 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 that's the song we sing up in heaven. I know this one. We sang this yesterday, right? <clears throat> and, and so they're worshiping along with us. They're, they're um, persevering through my speaking right now. And they're, and they're there. And we don't see them, we don't hear them, but we, we interact, we're influenced by them. We actually reverse influence them. Uh, we can go through some scriptures and look at it. It's kind of an interesting thing. Prayer is a spiritual conversation actually taking place in the, in the spiritual realm. Paul in the book of Ephesians refers to it as the heavenly realm. That's what, that's what we're talking about. I like to compare it to um, right now in the room, there are 20 or 30 voices maybe all speaking right now at the same time. But, but they're outside of our ability to hear them. They're at a range and a frequency that we're unable to hear. If I had a neat little tool called a radio... I could, I could use that, and it would bring those frequencies in so that it would be in a range that I could hear. Does that make sense? But they're there. They're filling this room. There are like 20 or 30 voices easily whipping through here on sound waves. They're just beyond our range. It's the same thing visually. We only see within a certain range and frequency of light. If you had the right tools, I could then see in the ultraviolet and the whatever else there is that you could see out there. And so... And so is that kind of what it's like in the spiritual world? They're just beyond our range of hearing, beyond our range of seeing, but, but they're there. Uh, they see us. They, it, it's actually, it's got to be kind of weird for them, I would think, uh, because they're watching people who are physically dead or physically alive but spiritually dead moving among them, and they, they would know it like just zombies who are spiritually dead but physically alive. But then they see the Christian walk into the room and they know immediately, ah, oh, that one's alive. I wonder if it's not like there's a scene in Harry Potter I like. If, and if you haven't seen Harry Potter, you still get this. Uh, but it's like one of the very first movies. He doesn't really know that he's like the chosen one, that he's like the powerful one. And he walks in with Hagrid in the pub in the magical world and everything just kind of comes to a pause, a standstill, and they're all like, it's Harry Potter. Harry Potter. 
You know, is, is, that, is that what it's like in the, in the spiritual realm? All the demons that are hanging out, doing whatever demons do, playing risk, probably. And, and, and in walks, you know, the Christian. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place, have you ever been in a place where you like, felt the darkness? Uh, there are some stores that are like that, that you're just kind of like, ooh, this place is like darker than normal, spiritually. And so I wonder if we walk in there, if there's that kind of pause, and they realize, there's a live one. And, and what do they see? They don't, they, don't see my, they don't see the identity that I see. They see a totally different identity. They don't see a bald, fattening, middle-aged guy. They see, a, they see a prince of the king coming in, right? They see someone who's, who's hanging with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so is there that pause when they're like, oh, they just stop. He's Holy Spirit on deck. Uh, maybe they scatter. Maybe not. Maybe sometimes I walk in and there's a pause and they're like, ah, he's alive. No, nope. false alarm. <laughs> Michael's in control. <laughs> they all snicker. <laughs> it's all right. He's doing it on his own. <laughs> they all go back to listening to Taylor Swift, whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> That's not a cut on Taylor Swift. I don't know why I picked on her. If you liked her, I have nothing, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, but but they, do, they do see my spiritual identity. He's alive, and he's, he's with the Holy Spirit. And so there, along with him, is, is power. There's, there's an element of power Look, I love these verses. Ephesians, if you're still there, chapter 1. Um, let's start at verse 18. Verse 18, he's making this prayer for the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart, he's talking about their spiritual self, that spiritual side of them, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's what they see entering the room. That's a person hanging with the Holy Spirit with the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's, that is way more than just some unemployed person. That's way more than a cancer patient. That is way more than someone who has failed, way more than someone who has lost. That is a spiritually alive, powerful individual. That is a child of the king. That is a prince of eternity. That's who's walking into the room. That is our spiritual identity. We're going to kind of take that as a foundational thing, but let me just... just what I would encourage you to do if you get a chance is, is read the book of Ephesians with that in mind. That's the background that Paul has as he writes the book of Ephesians. He's really talking about your identity in the real, eternal, spiritual world, and then he just, he just kind of fleshes it out. But look, at, look how he ends. Go with me to Ephesians 6, how he ends the book. Chapter, verse 10 of chapter 6. Should be familiar verses. He writes, Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's a spiritual armor that he goes on to describe so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now here's, here's I think I've, I've given this illustration before, but I like to think of that, that dual world that we live in as kind of like being out in the ocean. If you've been in the ocean, you're actually in two places. Uh, if you're standing out in the ocean, obviously you're, you're in the water, but your feet is also on land. So you're in the water, but you're still on land. The land happens to be covered up, but you're standing on the land. And so that's kind of this, this world that Christians live in. We're in two worlds. Uh, I would relate the land to the spiritual world. Christ perhaps is the lifeguard or the lighthouse. And the, the ocean is, is that physical world that we're just in right now. Uh, there's not much we can do about it until we leave this world and God creates everything new. We are a part and we're in this world. And if you've, if you've been in the ocean, you know that the ocean has a current. There's a, there's a tide that's pulling you. Anybody have this experience? And, and if you're not alert to it, which is why it's important for us to know as Christians that we're living in two worlds. What I see isn't everything there is to be. It's not the only reality. There's a whole other spiritual world. There are things happening that I don't see or don't hear, but they're, they're happening and they're important. And so if you've been in the ocean and you're not aware of that, that tide that starts pulling you along, you're that person who walks out of the ocean and is like, where'd my chair go? Right? Because you, you came in way over here, but you were just kind of in the ocean and you end up way down here. Well, that's, unfortunately, it could be the same for us. Uh, the culture, culture is strong. It's very difficult when everyone around you is saying the same thing, the world is repeating the same ideas, and everyone seems to be moving in the same direction to fight against that. But as Christians, we need, we need to fight against that. There is a very, very strong current. Some things that we, we're not even aware of because you're just you're in the culture. Sometimes I'll mention, I teach high school English. Why I'd be mentioning this, I don't know, but it does come up every once in a while. But I'll mention to my students, you know, there was a time when, when women didn't shave their armpits. And, and I, I usually get this like, oh, yuck. Like, that's gross. Well, that's, that's a cultural thing that now has become so ingrained in our culture. We've, we've, it's, it's beyond even just a value. It's like truth. Are you with me? Um, but it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't even that long ago. You, you, know who, you know who taught us? I bet some of you do. Who, who taught us that the truth is that women should say, shave their armpits? I bet you can guess. Guess the company name. It's not Bic. Good idea. Gillette. Gillette had an advertisement saying, hey, ladies, get rid of that unsightly hair. Uh, and they did. And, <laughs> but, it, but it's become... I mean, it's just, it's like what we believe. We just, we can't get ourselves out of it. I really, really appreciate it. When I was in, uh, to me, no, I was in Morocco. And we kept having meals with Moroccan families. And the way to do it in Morocco is to kind of all sit around a big table, big 
plate of food comes out, lots of bread, and everyone just starts picking off the same plate. And, and uh, we don't do that here. And so it's kind of different, a little bit weird. And, and, I, and one person in our group um, had the courage or maybe the lack of foresight, I don't know, but, but actually went ahead and, and said, hey, to our host, don't you think it's kind of like gross to all eat off the same plate with your fingers? And we were probably all thinking it. And, and I'm so thankful the host, the host said, well, no. Um, because I, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's cultural that we'd all wash our hands and I make sure that I don't touch my fingers to my lips. And then, and then they said, you know, you know what's kind of disgusting and weird? That you go to a restaurant and you eat off a fork that hundreds of people have eaten off of. <laughs> and the fact is, you don't really have any guarantee that it's been washed. And we were all kind of like, that's so true. <laughs> But it's just one of those things that you just, you grow up in it and you don't even question it. It just becomes like that's the right way to do it. And to point out and go, you know, it's maybe not the right way to do it. Um, maybe there's a different way of doing things. Um, let, me, let me throw this idea in there real quick. Sometimes there's an argument often used by atheists. Uh, and the idea is this, that there, there clearly is no God because the majority of Christians live in Christian countries, and the majority of Muslims live in Muslim countries, and Hindus grow up in Hindu culture. Does that make sense? And so you are purely the product of your culture. That's it. Uh, you're a Christian because you're growing up in a Christian country. There are churches all over, and that's what you were taught to believe, and so you believe it. Uh, and and here's, here's the error of that. One, they are correct in what they're saying. We are very much a product of our culture. Where they're incorrect is that they've somehow seen themselves as transcending culture. I mean, you do have to throw into the mix, you know, the majority of atheists come from atheistic countries, too. I, there's no difference. You don't, you don't somehow, like, rise above, which is what they kind of think, but not us. We see the truth for what it is. Well, no, you're just as much a product of the culture as the Hindu or the Muslim or the Christian. So really what you should do is, is take that argument and trash it, because it doesn't work, and just realize, well, one of them's got to be true. So seek it out. Uh, it's true that culture influences and affects, but you're going to have to set that aside and just find out which, which one is true. Anyway, that's a little side thing. Uh, let me go on. Let me, let me take us to another, to another uh, section here. There's, there's a current in the world, especially in America, maybe more so, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I just want to use that as an example. Um, and, and you're familiar with it. It's called materialism, sometimes consumerism. But it's a, it's a very, very strong current that we have to fight against. Materialism says that you are the value of your possessions. And so the better possessions you have, the better you must be as a person. The more possessions you have, the more you are as a person. That's, that's materialism. You are equal to the value of your possessions. And it's a tough one to get out of. We've been raised in a culture that is, that is materialistic. Um, somehow we, we are taught you are better and happier with anything that is bigger or newer. It's a very American uh, type of materialism. You will be better and happier 
with anything that is bigger or newer. And so just, just watch. I mean, everything that is sold to us, that's what's being pushed. It's new or it's bigger. So, and, and some products can, can push both. You'll go on the grocery lines and it'll be like, now, 20% more. It's new and it's bigger. You're like, ah, I don't need it, but now 20% more. Um, and, and so, and so everything, everything is bigger, everything is newer. Even, even companies who are smart who are like, well, we gotta, we got to make some more money this year, and so they'll take their product and they'll make it smaller, but then they'll package it as newer. And so you're like, hey, i got to try those sliders. I like my burger smaller. It's, it's new. Um, and, and it works. We're, we're drawn into that idea. There was, I heard there was a time when the largest soda you get at McDonald's was seven ounces. Now, now if you want to know, am I in that current? If you find yourself going, seven ounces? Was that a joke? That's, that's it. You, we look at that and just go, that's insane. What were they, th- did people buy that? Because we've been taught, it goes for seven ounces. You, do you have this when you, when you like go to the, any of these kind of restaurants or stores? I, I mean, I go into whatever coffee place, Wawa or whatever it is that I'm looking at, and I always want to get the biggest one. I know I'm not even going to drink it all. But it's just like, I want the bigger one. I want the newer one. One time, I needed a new laptop. <clears throat> and so, if you've ever gone laptop shopping, uh, just about all the stores have it laid out this way. They're kind of like in order of price. You know, there's this whole long shelf. Uh, and so you're looking, you're like, uh, $2,500. I don't know if I need that so much. And so you, you end up working all the way down, you know, you got your 800, your 400, and way down here is like that $1.98 one, you know? <laughs> and you, you, if you're like the majority of people, you, you find yourself right in the middle, which is where the majority of people buy, and that's how we think. We're, we are, uh, we're just so, we're so predictable. There are, if you want to know another free idea, um, the companies, the companies will, I don't know if you know this, with some products, this will be the product they're going to sell. This is the product that we make the most money off of. It costs 100 bucks to make. We're going to sell it at 700 bucks. But if that's all we have on the shelf is the $700 one, no one will buy it. So we have to make a $1,200 one. If people buy it, we only make 100 bucks off it. We hope no one buys the $1,200 one. But when we have the $1,200 one next to the $700 one, we also are going to put out there two years ago the $400 one. And we pretty much guarantee everyone's going to buy the $700 one. That's, that's the thing. They just know. You're going to shop right in the middle. And so that's where I'm in. I'm looking at these middle ones, and, and I, and I uh, stop myself, and I, and I go to that question that I try to ask myself, all right, wait, what, what do I really need? And I really don't know what I need. So I thought, let me go home, check out the laptop I have now, see what the specifications are, because it's fine. Like, it's good enough. It's fast. I don't, you know... If I've used up all its memory, then maybe I'll, get, I'll need one that's bigger. And so I go and I check out the specifications, and I have it written down on my little card, you know. And, and I take it back to the store, and, and I start in the middle. And it's like, it was, oh, wow, that's, that's more than I need. That's not what I... I'm at the $1.98 one. <laughs> and I'm so bummed. 
and, and, I'm, and I'm wrestling with that whole materialistic mindset. One was, like, even though, you know, you lose your laptop and it's kind of like it's a frustration, at the same time you're like, I'm getting a new one. Because newer is better. But now I'm, I'm st- all I need is the $1.98 one. There's a whole, like, I don't want the loser one. And I'm so upset. I bought the middle one. I don't want the loser one. And it's amazing how we can justify what we need. <laughs> and so I did. I'm sure I'll need more memory in the future. <laughs> but that's, <clears throat> that's the pool of our culture. It's one of, one of many things in this ocean of a world that just kind of is drawing us. And we really need to fight. We need to be aware. We need to measure up to the word of God and be reminded, wait a minute, what are the true values? Because the values of the world are they're changing. They fade. They're not going to last. Here's, real quickly, here's some of the things that Jesus said in response to that. What profit is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? That's a Christian value. That's what I need to think about when I'm tempted. What profit is it to gain the whole world? That's pretty big but forfeit your soul, because your soul is eternal. Jesus tells a parable about a man who, who, who has a banging crop. I mean, he doesn't have enough storage to put it everywhere. And so he decides, yo, what am I going to do with all this extra wheat and whatnot? So he's going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build more barns. So do you know the name Jim Noop? Probably not. Jim Noop in the 60s. Uh, bought some land out in California. And he was going to try this new business idea. And he shared it with all his friends and family. And they all said, that is the stupidest idea we have ever heard. But he went through with it anyway. And before long, it sold. And he bought more land. And he started another one of these businesses. They're now across the country. You want to take a guess what Jim Noop is the originator of? Storage units. You got it, self-storage units. That's the dumbest. Who's going to pay money just to have you store their stuff? And we all do. Anyway, that's the way off. <laughs> and, and, so, and so that's this parable. This guy who's got, I've got too much stuff. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to build bigger barns. I'll be able to store it all. I'll be able to use it for later. But then he dies. And, and here's how Jesus said it in the parable. Um, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. And then Jesus says this, his lesson, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus very simply said elsewhere, a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Those, those are eternal values. We need to be mindful. We exist in two worlds. And this world is, is constantly pulling us in its direction. That's what he said in Ephesians. You used to live that way when you followed the ways of the world. They're, they're, they, he said the spirit of the air that is at work in the disobedient. There's, there is a spiritual world that is actually even drawing us. Come this direction. Make this your value. This will be your highest priority. We've got to fight against that. We, we've got to be mindful that my identity, my true identity, 
is not my physical looks, it's not my occupation. I have an eternal spiritual identity, which is Christ in me. I'm a child of the King. I, I have values that are eternal that I should be fighting towards and fighting for. Let me pray for us. I'll invite Paul and them to come back up.